Chapter Thirty Two of the Marrow of Tradition. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. The Marrow of Tradition by Charles Waddell Chestnut. Chapter Thirty Two The Storm Breaks. The Wellington riot began at three o'clock in the afternoon of a day as fair as was ever selected for a deed of darkness. The sky was clear, except for a few light clouds that floated, white and feathery, high in air, like distant islands in a sapphire sea. A salt-laden breeze from the ocean a few miles away lent a crisp sparkle to the air. At three o'clock sharp, the streets were filled as if by magic, with armed white men. The negroes going about had noted with uneasy curiosity that the stores and places of business, many of which closed at noon, were unduly late in opening for the afternoon, though no one suspected the reason for the delay. But at three o'clock every passing colored man was ordered by the first white man he met to throw up his hands. If he complied, he was searched, more or less roughly, for firearms, and then warned to get off the street. When he met another group of white men, the scene was repeated. The man, thus summarily held up, seldom encountered more than two groups before disappearing across lots to his own home or some convenient hiding place. If he resisted any demand of those who halted him, but the records of the day are historical, they may be found in the newspapers of the following date but they are more firmly engraved upon the hearts and memories of the people of Wellington. For many months there were Negro families in the town whose children screamed with fear and ran to their mothers for protection at the mere sight of a white man. Dr. Miller had received a call, about one o'clock, to attend a case at the house of a well-to-do colored farmer, who lived some three or four miles from the town, upon the very road, by the way, along which Miller had driven so furiously a few weeks before, in the few hours that intervened before Sandy Campbell would probably have been burned at the stake. The drive to his patient's home, the necessary inquiries, the filling of the prescription from his own medicine case, which he carried along with him, the little friendly conversation about the weather and the crops, and the farmer being an intelligent and thinking man, the inevitable subject of the future of their race, these, added to the return journey, occupied at least two hours of Miller's time. As he neared the town on his way back, he saw ahead of him half a dozen men and women approaching, with fear written in their faces, in every degree from apprehension to terror. Women were weeping and children crying, and all were going as fast as seemingly lay in their power, looking behind now and then as if pursued by some deadly enemy. At sight of Miller's buggy, they made a dash for cover, disappearing like a covey of frightened partridges in the underbrush along the road. Miller pulled up his horse and looked after them in startled wonder. "'What on earth can be the matter?' he muttered, struck with a vague feeling of alarm. A psychologist, seeking to trace the effects of slavery upon the human mind, might find in the South many a curious illustration of this curse abiding long after the actual physical bondage had terminated. 
in the olden time the white south labored under the constant fear of negro insurrections knowing that they themselves if in the negro's place would have risen in the effort to throw off the yoke all their reiterated theories of negro subordination and inferiority could not remove that lurking fear founded upon the obscure consciousness that the slaves ought to have risen conscience it has been said makes cowards of us all there was never on the continent of america a successful slave revolt nor one which lasted more than a few hours or resulted in the loss of more than a few white lives yet never was the planter quite free from the fear that there might be one on the other hand the slave had before his eyes always the fear of the masters there were good men according to their lights according to their training and environment among the southern slaveholders who treated their slaves kindly as slaves from principle because they recognized the claims of humanity even under the dark skin of a human chattel there was many a one who protected or pampered his negroes as the case might be just as a man fondles his dog because they were his they were a part of his estate an integral part of the entity of property and person which made up the aristocrat but with all this kindness there was always present in the consciousness of the lowest slave the knowledge that he was in his master's power and that he could make no effectual protest against the abuse of that authority there was also the knowledge among those who could think at all that the best of masters was himself a slave to a system which hampered his movements but scarcely less than those of his bondmen when therefore miller saw these men and women scampering into the bushes he divined with this slumbering race consciousness which years of culture had not obliterated that there was some race trouble on foot his intuition did not long remain unsupported a black head was cautiously protruded from the shrubbery and a black voice if such a description be allowable addressed him is that you dr miller yes who are you and what's the trouble what's the trouble sir why all hell's broke loose in town yonder the white folks is riz against the niggers and say they're gonna kill every nigger they can lay hands on miller's heart leaped to his throat as he thought of his wife and child this story was preposterous it could not be true and yet there must be something in it he tried to question his informant but the man was so overcome with excitement and fear that miller saw clearly that he must go farther for information he had read in the morning chronicle a few days before the obnoxious editorial quoted from the afro-american banner and had noted the comment upon it by the white editor he had felt as at the time of its first publication that the editorial was ill-advised it could do no good and was calculated to arouse the animosity of those whose friendship whose tolerance at least was necessary and almost indispensable to the colored people they were living at the best in a sort of armed neutrality with the whites such a publication however serviceable elsewhere could have no other effect in wellington than to endanger this truce and defeat the hope of a possible future friendship the right of free speech entitled barber to publish it a larger measure of common sense would have made him withhold it 
whether it was the publication of this article that had stirred up anew the sleeping dogs of race prejudice and whetted their thirst for blood he could not yet tell but at any rate there was mischief on foot for god's sake doctor don't go no closer to that town pleaded his informant eh you'll be kilt show come on with us sir and take care of yourself we're going to hide in the swamps till this thing is over god man exclaimed miller urging his horse forward my wife and child are in the town fortunately he reflected there were no patients confined in the hospital if there should be anything in this preposterous story to one unfamiliar with southern life it might have seemed impossible that these good christian people who thronged the churches on sunday and wept over the sufferings of the lowly nazarene and sent missionaries to the heathen could be hungering and thirsting for the blood of their fellow men but miller cherished no such delusion he knew the history of his country he had the threatened lynching of sandy campbell vividly in his mind and he was fully persuaded that to race prejudice once roused any horror was possible that women or children would be molested of set purpose he did not believe but that they might suffer by accident was more than likely as he neared the town dashing forward at the top of his horse's speed he heard his voice called in a loud and agitated tone and glancing around him saw a familiar form standing by the roadside gesticulating vehemently he drew up the horse with a suddenness that threw the faithful and obedient animal back upon its haunches the colored lawyer watson came up to the buggy that he was laboring under great and unusual excitement was quite apparent from his pale face and frightened air what's the matter watson demanded miller hoping now to obtain some reliable information matter exclaimed the other everything's the matter the white people are up in arms they have disarmed the colored people killing half a dozen in the process and wounding as many more they have forced the mayor and aldermen to resign have formed a provisional city government a la franquaise and have ordered me and half a dozen other fellows to leave town in forty-eight hours under pain of sudden death as they seem to mean it i shall not stay so long fortunately my wife and children are away i knew you were out here however and i thought i'd come out and wait for you so that we might talk the matter over i don't imagine they mean you any harm personally because you tread on nobody's toes but you're too valuable a man for the race to lose so i thought i'd give you warning i shall want to sell you my property too at a bargain for i'm worth too much to my family to dream of ever attempting to live here again have you seen anything of my wife and child asked miller intent upon the danger to which they might be exposed no i didn't go to the house i inquired at the drug store and found out where you had gone you needn't fear for them it is not a war on women and children war of any kind is always hardest on the women and children returned miller i must hurry on and see that mine are safe they'll not carry the war so far into africa as that returned watson but i never saw anything like it yesterday i had a hundred white friends in the town or thought i had men who spoke pleasantly to me on the street and sometimes gave me their hands to shake not one of them said to me today watson stay at home this afternoon i might have been killed 
like any one of half a dozen others who have bit the dust for any word that one of my friends had said to warn me when the race cry is started in this neck of the woods friendship religion humanity reason all shrivel up like dry leaves in a raging furnace the buggy into which watson had climbed was meanwhile rapidly nearing the town i think i'll leave you here miller said watson as they approached the outskirts and make my way home by a roundabout path as i should like to get there unmolested home a beautiful word that isn't it for an exiled wanderer it might not be well either for us to be seen together if you put the hood of your buggy down and sit well back in the shadow you may be able to reach home without interruption but avoid the main streets i'll see you again this evening if we're both alive and i can reach you for my time is short a committee are to call in the morning to escort me to the train i am to be dismissed from the community with public honors watson was climbing down from the buggy when a small party of men were seen approaching and big josh green followed by several other resolute-looking colored men came up and addressed them dr miller cried green mr watson we're looking for a leader the white folks are killing the niggers and we ain't gonna stand up and be shot down like dogs we're gonna defend our lives and we ain't gonna run away from no place where we've got a right to be and woe be to the white man what lays hands on us there's two niggers in this town to every white man and if we've got to be kilt we'll take some white folks long with us as sure as there's a god in heaven as i suppose there is though he must be asleep or busy somewhere else today will y'all come and lead us gentlemen said watson what is the use the negroes would not back you up they haven't the arms nor the moral courage nor the leadership we'll get the arms and we'll get the courage if you'll come and lead us we want leaders that's why we come to you what's the use returned watson despairingly the odds are too heavy i've been ordered out of town if i stayed i'd be shot on sight unless i had a bodyguard around me we'll be your bodyguard shouted half a dozen voices and when my bodyguard was shot what then i have a wife and children it is my duty to live for them if i died i should get no glory and no reward and my family would be reduced to beggary to which they'll soon be near enough as it is this affair will blow over in a day or two the white people will be ashamed of themselves to-morrow and apprehensive of the consequences for some time to come keep quiet boys and trust in god you won't gain anything by resistance god helps dem to help themselves returned josh stoutly if mr watson won't lead us will you dr miller said the spokesman turning to the doctor for miller it was an agonizing moment he was no coward morally or physically every manly instinct urged him to go forward and take up the cause of these leaderless people and if need be to defend their lives and their rights with his own but to what end listen men he said we would only be throwing our lives away suppose we made a determined stand and won a temporary victory by morning every train every boat every road leading into wellington would be crowded with white men 
as they probably will be anyway, with arms in their hands, curses on their lips, and vengeance in their hearts. In the minds of those who make and administer the laws, we have no standing in the court of conscience. They would kill us in the fight, or they would hang us afterwards. One way or another we should be doomed. I should like to lead you. I should like to arm every colored man in this town, and have them stand firmly in line, not for attack, but for defense. But if I attempted it, and they should stand by me, which is questionable, for I have met them fleeing from the town, my life would pay the forfeit. Alive, I may be of some use to you, and you are welcome to my life in that way. I am giving it freely. Dead, I should be a mere lump of carrion. Who remembers even the names of those who have been done to death in the southern states for the past twenty years? I remember the name of one of them, said Josh, and I remember the name of the man that killed him, and I speck his time is mighty nigh come. My advice is not heroic, but I think it is wise. In this riot we are placed as we should be in a war. We have no territory, no base of supplies, no organization, no outside sympathy. We stand in the position of a race, in a case like this, without money and without friends. Our time will come, the time when we can command respect for our rights. But it is not yet in sight. Give it up, boys, and wait. Good may come of this, after all. Several of the men wavered, and looked irresolute. I reckon that's all so, doctor, returned Josh. And the way you put it, I don't blame you none, Mr. Watson. But all them reasons ain't got no weight with me. I'm going in that town, and if any white man stirs me, there'll be trouble. There'll be double trouble. I feels it in my bones. Remember your old mother, Josh, said Miller. Yes, sir. I remember her. That's all I can do now. I don't need to wait for her no more, for she died this morning. I'd like to see her bad, sir, but I may not have the chance. If I gets killed, will you do me a favor? Yes, Josh, what is it? If I should get laid out in this commotion that's going on, will you collect my wages from your brother and see that the old woman is put away right? Yes, of course. With a nice coffin and a nice funeral and a headboard and a footboard. Yes. All right, sir. If I don't live to do it, I know it'll be tended to right. Now, we're going out to the cotton compress and get a lot of colored men together, and if the white folks stirs me, I shouldn't be surprised if there'd be a mix-up. And if there is, me and one white man will stand before the judgment throne of God this day, and it won't be me what'll be feared of the judgment. Come along, boys. These gentlemen may have something to live for, but as for my part, I'd rather be a dead nigger any day than a live dog. End of chapter 32 Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista